Welcome to the Digital Health Insights Podcast, where NZ Hits CEO Scott Arrell brings you key thought leaders to share their experience, views, and vision on all things digital health and more. Full tech enablement is essential for creating world-class health systems, and Scott's guests discuss how this can be achieved, the challenges that need addressing, the opportunities it creates, and the benefits delivered to health, disability, and social care services in New Zealand and worldwide. Kia ora and welcome to Digital Health Insights with Scott Arrell. Of course, I'm Scott and I really appreciate you joining us today. I hope your day's going well. I hope your weekend went even better and the week ahead's looking fantastic for you. Thanks for taking the time to join me today for this episode because you'll enjoy uh, my guest. He's John Sinclair. John's the president of Novari Health. He's been doing that role for well over 12 years now and uh, he's coming to us all the way from Kingston, Ontario, Canada, where Novaria Health have been really busy. Uh, they're quite entrenched over in the whole telehealth space across most of the provinces in Canada, very experienced when it comes to delivering telehealth services. And they've been operating in Australia as well for uh, just over four years. So I know you're going to enjoy listening to John. I certainly did because he's got so much knowledge around the whole telehealth space. And of course, in New Zealand, it's just taken off, not just because of COVID. Uh, COVID's obviously given it the impetus that it needed, but there's been a lot of work that's gone in for quite a few years beforehand. So the experiences from Novari, from Canada, from Australia, are really worth listening to as well. So, and also, you know the story, shoot me through a message if you want to give me some feedback, uh, guest suggestions and topics for the show. That's just CEO at nzhit.nz. Always love to hear from you. And the website's chock-a-block with news and blogs, events, resources, and as, as you know what I say, lots, lots more. Yeah, check it out at nzhit.nz. And uh, if you've got some news, send it through to us, CEO at nzhit.nz. Um, we can put it up on the website as well. You might have an event that you want us to help you to promote. Uh, the same thing goes there. So send it through. And, well, Let's go talk to John. I don't want to keep you waiting any longer because he's got a lot to tell us and you're going to enjoy the knowledge that he shares with us today. Thank you. Hi, John. Uh, thanks for joining us today. And hey, you're sitting in Ontario, Canada, while we do this in interview and uh, going into your autumn uh, or fall, you might call it over there. We call it autumn in New Zealand. We're going into spring. So, uh, hey, thanks for joining us and great to have you on the show. How, how are things over there in and your neck of the woods, I think it's Kingston, isn't it, Ontario? Scott, happy to be here. Uh, you know, I'm looking out the window right now, and you're right, it's the autumn. And I'm looking at the beautiful fall colors. Uh, I live outside in the country, and it's spectacular right now. As we're, we're heading up to our Thanksgiving holiday, which everyone thinks is an American holiday. We also celebrate it in Canada. And we don't do it when the Americans do it. We do it first. <laughs> we do it in October. <laughs> Yeah, great. Uh, that's um, yeah. It does get confusing for us. Uh, uh, sort of Thanksgiving seems, seems to be an American thing in the United States, but yeah, as I was telling you earlier, we've got uh, my wife's uh, got a lot of relatives and and spread across Canada. So yeah, they're always at pains to tell us. You know, we we our Thanksgiving is first. So. <laughs> great fun. And your temperature is cooling down while ours is starting to climb a bit here. So although we've uh, as we're doing this recording, we've had a dump of snow down on our South Island, and that's kind of caused a bit of angst around, you know, because it's lambing time and uh, also uh, blossom time for a lot of our uh, fruit and so forth that's grown down that way. Um, I guess you're going the other way. As you say, you, you've got the, the lovely autumn colours all coming out, um, which are spectacular, by the way. And if anyone's ever 
uh, got to Canada, they would, and at this time of year, they'd attest to that, wouldn't they? So I think so, um, but it uh, it means the uh, the leaves will be dropping and the snow will be coming, and this winter will be rather unique because many Canadians, especially those that are retired, like to uh, disappear uh, around January and they they go down south, they go to Mexico, they go to the Caribbean, they go to Florida. Uh, this year, however, uh, the snowbirds, as we call them, are, will not be traveling. Our, um, our land border with the United States is currently closed. Uh, and so due to COVID, uh, most Canadians will be staying home this year and not traveling. So for a lot of Canadians, myself included, it will be the first time in many years that I spend the entire winter in Canada with no, uh, no reprieve. Wow, yeah. And you were telling me about the, the lake that you live on and a uh, little long lake, if I uh, remember that rightly. And uh, so you, it, it's a beautiful lake uh, during the summer, um, you know, all nice water as such. And then in the winter, it's ice and you can you just you'll, you'll be out there driving your truck around on the ice on, on your on your lake. And this time around. Uh, exactly right. Uh, you know, in the summer, uh, it gets up to 31 degrees. We broke a record this summer. So bath water for swimming. Uh, and yet, in a couple of months from now, uh, literally be able to drive a truck on the ice. The ice will be um, uh, maybe a half meter thick. Yeah, that, that's amazing, especially for us uh, North Islanders. And I'm, I'm yeah, up in Auckland area. Yeah, that type of thing is it doesn't happen. Definitely, it doesn't happen in the North Island, but it does happen. So down, down the lower North, South Island, there's there's an area there where we play um, where. Um, curling is quite a center for curling down in that area. So um, I guess they would enjoy having the, their lake, their little lake down there uh, frozen over, although I think they've got a, a purpose-built curling arena because um, uh, it, it is the center of curling for New Zealand. Hey, let's talk a bit about you, John, and, and the things that you're getting up to with Novari Health. You're the president of Novari Health. And uh, how long have you been doing that? And, you know, let's talk a bit about where you've come from with Novari and, and where you're heading? So I guess I'm coming up, I must be 12 years now with Novari. And when I joined, I, I think I'm employee number four, uh, maybe number five. Uh, and we're now at, at about 70 people strong. So um, I, I think I got in at the right time into digital health. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a great, great ride taking a small business, uh, really a startup, uh, to the to the maturity that we are today, we're one of the largest digital health vendors in Canada now. Uh, if you exclude um, some of the, uh, you would refer to them as PMS vendors, uh, and one of our big telcos, of course. Uh, so leaving them aside, we're, we're, we're now one of the largest and we're active uh, right across the country. And uh, as you know, uh, now active um, in the Australasian market. Yes, you've got uh, Gavin, Gavin Meredith. He's based in Australia, isn't he? Gavin Meredith, yeah, Gavin Meredith. I've known him for years. Um, uh, when I met Gavin originally, he was working uh, in New South Wales for the uh, Agency for Clinical Innovation, uh, ACI. And then uh, when, he, when he left ACI, he joined, uh, he joined Novari and um, uh, represents us in, in Australia, Australia as our general manager. Um, registered nurse by by education and uh, a great guy uh, by 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 any measure. Um, he's, uh, he's been a guest at my house here in Canada, and he's he's commented on the on on how warm the lake is here. <laughs> oh, excellent! Yeah, and um, yeah, because yeah, you know, Australia 
uh, you know, I'm sure my international listeners understand that we've got this uh, Tasman Sea that separates Australia and New Zealand, um, where each side of the Tasman, um, whether you're an Australian, you always poke fun at, at the Kiwis across the ditch and then and vice versa, of course. You know, we um we do, you know, I'm I'm at pains to say we we actually all do love each other, but um we you know, there's there is a you might call it a sibling rivalry, I guess. And and you might have it between the States and Canada as well, would you? Uh we do. Um yeah, I, I we, we absolutely do. And I guess one of the Canadians' pet peeves, and I think we, we share that with uh, with the Kiwis, is uh, when we travel internationally, it's often assumed that we are uh, we are Americans. We are, and, and of course, we're not. We're Canadians and proud Canadians. And I've made the mistake a few times by by getting the accent wrong. I'm very careful. I don't do it any longer. And I've spent enough time in your country in Australia now to to I think know the difference. <laughs> so yeah, point well taken. <laughs> No, that's right. Well, with the um, Anna, my wife's uh, relatives in Canada, we you know when they've come out to st- you know, stay with us, or we've been there a couple of times, um, just to because of my nature, you know, say, gosh, you know, that's a that's a great um, American accent you got, and man, that that riles them up. That for sure, you know, we just about get kicked out of the house. <laughs> So with Navarra, you so you as you say with your size and you, you're, I'm assuming you're spread right throughout Canada um, as as much as possible. And, and, and what's the from the twelve years that you've been with Navarra? What's the difference that you've seen in that period um, with regards to telehealth? Well, with regard to telehealth, uh, you know, uh, until just recently, it was an expensive proposition uh, to implement. It was specialist care only. Uh, it was certainly not the endpoint was not uh, consumer or patient's uh, mobile device. It was hospital to hospital or hospital to nursing station. Uh, I think all of that all of that has dramatically changed. So I think that's one of the big changes from a, a telehealth perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, and you've seen that uh, is that across the whole of Canada with uh, all the provinces, or is it is there been greater uptake in some more than others? So in the province of Ontario. Um, there's a government agency until recently known as uh, the Ontario Telemedicine Network or OTN. It's been around for 30 some years and they were very successful. Uh, they've now been merged into a larger government agency uh, and they're transforming how they're delivering virtual care services. Um, we're we're a, a provider of technology to them. We're a vendor of record. They use our virtual care technology uh, to empower a primary care physicians, GPs, to see their patients virtually using Novari virtual care technology. It's the similar technology that we're about to uh, go live with um, in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, But in the Canadian context, at least in the province of Ontario, we're providing it uh, directly under a master contract with the, with the provincial government, with um, this agency uh, formerly known as, as OTN. But um, there's been a lot of change. Uh, You know, COVID has accelerated, as you know, it's accelerated everything, but not in the ways that I think most people think. Um, I think the knee-jerk reaction for most physicians uh, and clinicians was to reach for the telephone. It wasn't to reach for a virtual care technology. Uh, and I think the numbers bear that out, um, looking uh, looking uh, not just at Canada, but looking uh, your part of the world and elsewhere. So I, th- I think this is not a sprint. I think it's a marathon. There was a brief sprint. But uh, things have changed, but in some ways they haven't changed a lot. And I think the perception is that everything has changed. Maybe expectations have changed. <laughs> we used to have to, to 
convince clinicians as to why they should be doing virtual care. Now they kind of get why they should be doing it. It's a matter of how they should be doing it is the question. And have has it been incentivized? You know, so with the the provincial governments, or is it is it uh, more of a, a federal type approach to funding and incentivizing the uptake and the use of of telehealth technology? Well, I regret to inform you that Canada doesn't have one healthcare system; it has ten healthcare systems. You could even argue it is more than that. Uh, healthcare is the mandate of the provincial governments, not the federal government. Uh, and so every province is essentially a country unto itself uh, from a healthcare perspective. They each have their own um, their own healthcare system, their own billing codes, uh, their own rules. Uh, now they're all subject to some federal legislation, uh, which has just recently gone before the courts, and the courts have um, basically uh, upheld the legislation under constitution constitutional challenge. Uh, so every province is different, and I would say, as a general rule, most provinces have not been uh, liberal in their um, publishing of billing codes. In other words, if a clinician wants to get paid, then it had better be a face-to-face encounter with the patient and not a virtual. Uh, during COVID, that changed. There were some emergency billing codes that were released. I'm speaking in generalities here, but um, but for the most part, clinicians are right now able to bill for their virtual care. Uh, in the past, even if we had clinicians who were enthusiastic about virtual care, if uh, if they couldn't get paid, they weren't going to do it, even if they wanted to do it, unfortunately. So how would they go about that change? So has it been, a, you know, just a, at each you know, 10 health systems or as many as you say they are, you know, have they, have they tried to join up the dots with that or, or, or not? Is that just really just each one's going to do its own thing uh, or, or has COVID driven them together more? No, I don't think COVID's driven any, anyone together from that perspective. It's very entrenched. Uh, each province is uh, is its own jurisdiction. Um, they're busy uh, and legitimately so. The ministries of health uh, or the Department of Health, depending on your province, uh, they're you know they're battling uh, COVID in the long term care facilities, the facilities for the aged. Um, they're struggling with uh, uh, opening the schools. The schools have just opened here. Um, they're struggling with enough uh, PPE for clinicians and healthcare providers. Um, so they have, they have a lot on their plate. I, I, I think it's unrealistic to think that they will um, they will be able to uh, overcome the constitution really. Uh, so you no know, healthcare will remain the domain of the provinces. Each province will do its own thing with, with that's appropriate um, for its jurisdiction. But we have seen uh, the opening of these building codes. Now, uh, Will that change going forward? I think I don't think they can close the door at this point. I think they've got to keep the door open. Virtual care is 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 here to stay. It's a matter of what rules are they going to wrap around it, around who can see who and by what modality. So does it have to be audio? Does it have to be video? What about secure messaging? So a lot of the billing codes in Canada for telemedicine, and by the way, telemedicine is sort of an older term from our perspective that we really – uh, no longer use. We use the term virtual care because uh, it can take it can take so many different forms. But one of those forms is secure messaging. So it looks like texting. It smells like texting. Feels like texting to both the clinician and the patient. But in fact, it's secure, encrypted uh, communication between provider and and patient. Um, most jurisdictions don't um, won't pay for that. So the payer, which is in the Canadian system, is the public 
public healthcare system, uh, as a general rule, they will not pay for that type of an encounter. But what we've experienced working with the government, because the government in Ontario has it has um, authorized clinicians using our technology to have messaging visits with patients, and we see the satisfaction with the with physicians and with the patients really high. I mean, off the chart high, ninety eight percent. Uh, favorable uh, on on exit polling, really. So so it's a matter of how this is going to happen and what rules will be in in place as a legacy of COVID. Um, But but virtual care uh, is not not going anywhere, I think. Not going away. Yeah, and that's good. (laughs) No, no, and so it shouldn't either. Um, Hey, the other thing that you, you were commenting on to me before we did started the recording this uh, episode that the you know the thing that you've noticed between say Canada and perhaps possibly even Australia and New Zealand is this so how I guess for a small country that's an advantage for us but the sort of the the engagement and connectedness of of people you know so we had the digital health week which unfortunately this year has been uh, postponed or, or pushed obviously cancelled really um and yeah which encompasses the hymns conference and a number of other um uh activities that go on during that whole week and you say that you know you've you you've sort of comparing that to a country like canada with 30 million people you know the engagement here is is very different you, you know very noticeable uh, you know how does that compare you know how do you what, what do you think makes that that happen you know it's, it's a good question uh what makes it happen uh, i i do notice and you and i talked about this uh, previously I, I do notice the level of engagement uh you know new zealand with all due respect uh, a, a small and i I'm, I'm coming from canada also a geographically big country but it's still a small population of under 40 million mm-hmm. people but when i when i compare the two and i've attended your uh, Digital Health Week conference uh, a number of times um, in Rotorua and in Hamilton, and I was scheduled to be there this year. Um, I'm struck by the level of engagement, just, the, just simply the number of attendees. If nothing else, I think your uh, your annual conference is uh, is comparable in scale and everything to the to the Canadian conference. Now, when we see with our conferences, because it's we are such a large country um, that. You'll see it. Um, it's hosted in two cities, and it, it alternates year to year. So it's typically in Vancouver on our west coast, and Toronto, sort of more east or centralized in the country. And uh, when it's in the east, you see a lot of Easterners attending, and when it's in the west, you see the opposite. Uh, part of that's just the cost of travel. Um, most of the attendees are coming from the public healthcare system. You know, we have a a, a public healthcare system. Uh, single payer system in Canada, and uh, with budget um, budget restraints and fiscal fiscal cutbacks, what have you, there just isn't the money to travel to the conference. So when I when I come to your conference and I see the attendees and I see the, you know, just relative, I, I would have expected a much smaller conference. Uh, but I think it's I think it's impressive. So, but I think it's more there's more to it than just geography, and I I don't know what that is, but your your uh, digital health community seems vibrant. It seems dynamic, and I think from an outsider's lens, um, it's 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 impressive. Yeah, and that's good. Um, I've seen it. You know, I've been in this role for six years, and 
Kim Mundell, who's my counterpart at in, at Health Informatics New Zealand, um, you know, she's been about the same time, actually, a little bit, a little bit longer, uh, and we've both uh, worked hard to bring uh, our respective memberships together, uh, where it adds value not only to the members but um, to healthcare and and digital health and across the board. And I, I guess that has been a big shift over the last few years, and and a big big kudos really to Kim and her and the great people at Hins because that that whole week is really their show and and uh, me and my members uh, from an industry perspective we do what it takes to support it um, and I think that is that collegiality and willingness to kind of uh, come together and talk about you know issues but also the things that are going well as also and and the things that we could do for in the future so yeah it's interesting you know we probably think we're not doing enough, John. So it's great to have your comments um, from an offshore perspective. You know, and I think yeah, and, um, that um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, I, I think we have a lot of the com- same common problems. We're trying to solve, at the end of the day, we're trying to solve um, the same problems. You know, I look at I look at Canada's performance around access to care, and I see that that's a challenge. It was just recently in, in your press, uh, recently around um, surgical backlogs. Due to uh, due to COVID, I mean there were already backlogs prior to COVID. Um, we we have a, we have a monumental problem in Canada with regard to over a hundred thousand patients that will be backlogged, waiting for surgery. Um, that's a problem that that challenges New Zealand. It challenges Australia. Uh, it's an area that we're um, we're uniquely qualified in. We do a lot of work in that in that area. And so so when I when I travel when I speak to folks in 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 New Zealand and Australia. Um, it's the same challenges that we have here in Canada. Yeah, and uh, it would be, I suppose, the the geographic factor for you must be huge. You know, um, and if we're talking about, say, in, indigenous populations, so you know, you've you've done quite a bit in that regard, haven't you, uh, across Canada? And you know, what, what would be a standout in particular? So, yeah, certainly Canada has challenges with regard to uh, our indigenous community, what we would refer to as our First Nations communities, um, but. Contrary to, to popular perception, most Canadians live in or around large metropolitan cities, Vancouver, Calgary, uh, Winnipeg, Toronto, Montreal, Halifax. Uh, and most Canadians live uh, along a sliver of land on the south of the country, um, budding up to the, to the uh, border with the United States. Uh, the exception there are our First Nations communities, which there are, and I don't know the exact count, but I'll, I'll use a round number. There are some, you know, 600 First Nations communities, uh, many of them in very rural, very remote, hard to reach communities. Some of them are fly-in. Um, some of them that can only be reached, um, you know, certain parts, certain times of the year. Um, and and they, have their, they have their own challenges, um, certainly, and, and around healthcare and, um, and the delivery of other social services. Um, and so when you when you have a you know virtual care for example virtual care technologies can connect these individuals these um, first nation members uh, with providers not only in the providers remotely but providers in their own community at the local nursing station um, or a tertiary center or a teaching hospital uh, elsewhere in the country uh, avoiding avoiding uh, travel and you can imagine travel <clears throat> in the dead of winter it uh, it can be dangerous and it's certainly very inconvenient. So any any travel that can be avoided, and I think that was the original genesis of 
the Ontario Telemedicine Network, who I spoke of a few minutes ago, was to help avoid that travel, to avoid having to have a, a patient leave their community, uh, drive for 18 hours or get on a small bush plane and fly out um, in the dead of winter uh, in the dark. <laughs> you know, in the northern communities, uh, it's dark most of the day. There's very little sunlight um, during the winter. And of course, in the summer, it's the opposite, where there's most uh, mostly daylight and very few dark hours. So yeah, so and so equity and access to healthcare services, and actually, it would be more than just healthcare, wouldn't it? Would um, you know through that mechanism, so virtual mechanism, uh, access to social services and, uh, well, let's say mental health services, those sort of things, would be but be broader than just sort of a narrow healthcare delivery, wouldn't it? I agree, absolutely. And mental health, um, mental health is probably the best example of that. I mean, it's it's health. Um, but the uh, there have certainly been, and they're well documented. There have been uh, suicide challenges, uh, very high rates of suicide in some First Nations community. Uh, it makes the news every few years, uh, and so getting getting services into these communities uh, is expensive, and it's a challenge uh, for, for many reasons. It's a challenge, uh, and so virtual care can be a, you know a huge enabler. Of being able to deliver um, to deliver certain services, um, social services, healthcare, uh, and I when I think of it, I think I think first and foremost around mental health services, mental health care. Yes, and I, I think from a New Zealand perspective, we have our challenges. You know, so we are rural and uh, and quite remote communities and individuals, um, you know, and, and, different, and population demands um, that vary around the country. So we are starting to see an uptake uh, upsurge. Uh, I guess it's sort of a realization which has been accelerated by the pandemic of the use of technology to deliver uh, care and and the ability for it to improve equity and access. Um, there's also this uh, kind of digital divide that's been spoken about, where it also has the, uh, the the potential to take it the other way too. You know, where people who don't have the technology are going to find it hard to get the t- get the care or get the services. So, uh, has that come up in Canada? The dis- discussion about the d- digital divide and what to do about it. So it's come up, but I don't think it's a. I don't think it should be a barrier for us. I think that the services um, should not exclusively be delivered using digital tools. There needs to be multi-channel approach uh, so that we leave no one behind. That there's always the ability. Uh, to get the services in a in a face to face manner and provide alternative channels um, t- to patients. You know, we're talking about our First Nations, but even beyond our First Nations, uh, you know, diabetes is a is a significant problem in in much of the world, including Canada, and in our First Nations communities, uh, it's even worse. <clears throat> so we've been we've been very successful working with some clients, uh, regional health authorities. You would refer to them as, of course, DHBs on setting up central intake models so that all the referrals coming in from primary care, even self-referrals and other referral sources, they, they're all funneled into a program that uses an enabling technology uh, from Novari that then acts as sort of almost like air traffic control in the sense that every referral coming in for a new patient, uh, if it's coming in for diabetes, it comes into the diabetes central intake for, for one DHB or multiple DHBs, um, if it's if it's a diabetes referral, it's triaged by a diabetes um, trained nurse uh, who then makes a decision as to what diabetes services 
are most appropriate for that patient and then uses our technology uh, for the triage process, but then the routing and the tracking of the of the requisition or the referral as it makes its way through the system and gets to that endocrinologist uh, or gets to that uh, diabetes clinic, um, the eating eating clinic, so on and so forth, whatever the service is, and moving to a single point of entry model has certainly demonstrated, and the literature totally backs this up. Uh, there were two recent articles in the Canadian um, Medical Association journal talking about single point of entry systems, and that's really what we're talking about. So, and then you you know, you, you you put a single point of entry model in uh, so that no patient falls through the cracks. You make sure you're getting the right patient to the right provider at the right time, and I would add with the right data. And then on top of that, you layer on the ability to provide services where clinically appropriate, virtually. And that's the winning combination. That's how I think you improve um, access to care. And I think that's how you improve outcomes. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, fascinating. It's um, yeah, good to hear. And you, you're talking about sort of aircraft and uh, aircraft control, that sort of thing. Uh, that leads, that's a good lead in actually for my sort of final point in question is uh, we're starting to see the in, um, increase in innovation and in the use of drone technology. And uh, there's we've got a member called Swoop Aero who's actually out of Australia. Uh, they they are already uh, setting up logistical, you know, um, you know drone logistical uh, uh, highways they call them, which is transporting uh, using drones to you know with the medications and drugs and so forth, but also collecting samples and taking them back to you know a testing center or whatever. So um, and they're planning a a launch here in New Zealand at some point with some partners that they're developing a, a, a solution with. So. Um, are you seeing that over your way? You know, so and, and of course, when I say drones, these are you know relatively large aircraft, uh, aircraft so to speak. Um, but linking that with telehealth and virtual health, it just makes a lot of sense to me. So you know, uh, I actually haven't heard of it. I you know everyone's heard of drones delivering um, in the Canadian context, delivering <laughs> beer to your house. Uh, so. <laughs> um, you know, it, it just sounds like a bit of science fiction to me. Uh, however, having said that, in the Canadian context with with um, with geography the way it is, if the drones have the capability to deliver um, needed medication, shall we say, uh, efficiently, safely and efficiently over great distances, I think there would be a use case. I, I, I suspect probably not in the uh, dense urban areas, but more rural or remote areas. Um, but I'm no drone expert. So, and I could well be, <laughs> I could well be wrong on this. And the drone technology is, uh, is, is just so innovative and, and, and exploding. Um, so I, I guess, I guess the, um, the jury's still out. We'll see, we'll see how that unfolds. Yes. Well, I, I'm the same. I, uh, cause when I, when they first talked to me about joining NZ Hit and then the various things that they were doing, I was I was actually fascinated. I went from sort of uh, total kind of disbelief that you know um, the sort of delivery of pizzas and beer to you know, how does this actually uh, impact and change the healthcare system? And they've got a whole different vision, and they're already doing it. So in um, Vanuatu, which is a small Pacific island. Uh, that's where they first started. They've set up networks in some African countries already, um, and we're going to be setting up uh, what was was to become the largest sort of air, air and um, they call it a logistical highway, uh, using drones to deliver drugs uh, in in the world, uh, which in one of the African countries might have been the um, the Republic of Congo or an area like that. 
Uh, so quite fascinating. And the innovation that they are applying with uh, 3D printing their craft, um, and the, you know, so it's all modulized. So in a Canadian context, you could have perhaps a, a you know a remote uh, re center um, where they they actually um, build their own craft and fly them out further. You know, I, you know, I'm making this up a bit too, but I I see definitely context here in New Zealand and Australia, and with the link to virtual healthcare makes sense uh, to me. I'm 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 struck um, I'm struck at the same time that uh, you know at least in the Canadian context and perhaps less so in New Zealand, the fax machine is still in use. You know, a, a device that was invented in the 1950s uh, and became in, you know, in wide use in the 1980s. Uh, and healthcare is amongst the only industries still using it. So um, uh, you know drone drone technology might you might leapfrog a lot of things, but uh, there's still a lot of things we need to get right in the digital health uh, community, uh, you know, sharing, just simply sharing medical records, uh, so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Um, so it, it's it's great to talk about that sort of forward-looking, uh, you know, leapfrog innovation technology, but there's a lot of work still to do that, um, that I think is just rudimentary stuff that really should have already been done. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And uh, that's uh, to finish off, actually, I, let's get w way past drones and uh, talk about my time machine, which I told you about that I've got, I've got, uh, um, if I gave you the keys to it and uh, pushed the button to 10 years ahead, so yeah, 2030, um, and say, we'll see, we'll see you later, John. And so you, you land uh, wherever you want to land in, in 10 years time, what does good look like to you? So from the sound of it, there wouldn't be any faxes as far as you're concerned. <laughs> no, there would be no fax machines. That's for sure. Uh, I think. I think the, the you know you, you look ahead in the future and, and what sh what should it look like? It should look like where my my medical record is my record, uh, and my medical record is accessible by by the compl my complete circle of care. Whether I'm getting care in the emergency uh, room, whether I'm getting care from a primary care clinician or a mental health provider. Uh, or some other clinic in the community, uh, as long as I give access, the, my, my medical record should be one medical record uh, accessible, accessible to all. And I think there should be transparency within the system. So I can see, for example, if a referral is sent for me for some healthcare service from my GP, I can see the status of that referral. Where is it? Uh, did it go to essential intake? Did it go direct? If it went to central intake, have they opened it? Have they triaged it? Have they routed it? Has the provider the specialist have they have they opened it have they accepted it when will i be scheduled and when they go to schedule me since we're we're fantasizing here i want to be consulted about the schedule i don't want to receive a note informing me that i've been scheduled for some healthcare service at some future date time and place that was not brokered with me so i think um, patient engagement at that level complete transparency a single patient record and then finally i would say that virtual care widely deployed so that when it's clinically appropriate, and it's not always clinically appropriate, but when and where it's clinically appropriate, that I be given that choice. I think that's what the future should look like. Great, yeah, and it's a good future. I think um, we share some uh, views in that respect. And you know, a lot of my guests, when I give them, I give them the keys to my time machine, uh, actually reflect uh, sort of similar, similar, similar visions. I think, and so and. 
I, I'm actually hoping it'll be shorter than 10 years' time. Hopefully it'll be five years' time we get to that point. Now, particularly in New Zealand, there's, there's quite a lot happening here. Um, I'm, I'm quite positive about it. I, I think um, we the pandemic has actually kind of accelerated the what I call the power of the people uh, so, which is you know, consumers of healthcare, and I think people are starting to realise actually there are different ways that um, healthcare can be accessed and more personalised uh, to how they want it rather than how they're told they're going to get it. You know? So, uh, so thank you for your thoughts, John. Um, yep. There you go. Sorry. Well, I was going to say it, it might be it might be faster than ten years in New Zealand. I think you're moving your country is moving at a at a at a brisk pace. Uh, perhaps compared to others, that's my sense as I travel um, travel around, and um, I, I know that we're we're tickled pink. We're excited about the opportunity of of being active as a company in in the New Zealand market. Um, uh, you know Mark Cox; he represents Novari and uh, doing a great job for us. And um, we're just so excited to to be part of that that ecosystem and that that innovation that's taking place. Yeah, you've, that's right. And Mark's a good man. Yeah, he's, he's a good uh, guy to have on board um, for what you're doing, and a real advocate for what what you're um, what Navari are up to as well. So it's it's really exciting. Hey, um, well, we'll we'll leave it there. What's actually happened? Of course, it always happens with all of my guests is that um, we've actually created more questions for the next time we have you on. And um, you know, we'll we, um, yeah, let's let's see. We might be around in ten years' time. Um, I'm sure you will be. I'm not sure about me. I'm I'm getting a bit long in the tooth, but you're you're just a you're just a spring chicken. So, but if we do get a chance in ten years' time, let, let's see what it actually does look like. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll come over to your beautiful part of the land and um, it's been a long time, but been, in the summer, it's been a long time since I've been called a spring chicken. So, thank you. <laughs> okay, John, and hey, listeners, thanks very much. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, this is you know one of those shows where. Um, there's a real, I think there's a natural affinity between uh, Canada and New Zealand and Australia. There's a lot that goes on. Um, there's a, the systems um, are not that quite different, actually, once you cut past some of the, you know, see the, the woods for the trees, so to speak, and uh, things that are happening in either country. I think we can learn off each other as well. So uh, thank you, John. Uh, thank you for, you know, sort of uh, reaching out and, and coming into the New Zealand market the way that you have. I think, um, you know, you've spent time getting to know us um, and that's important for New Zealanders just as it is for Canadians. The relationships are important. So, and I appreciate the way that you've gone about doing that. So thank you and thank you listeners. Thank you for listening to the Digital Health Insights Podcast with Scott Errol. Make sure to subscribe and join us again for more news, views and stories from key health and tech leaders. For more information, please head to our website at www.nzhit.nz where you'll find links to resources, news, events and much more.